You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring, and SunWiz, makers of PV cell software. Hello and welcome to this episode of Solar Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and One Step Off the Grid. And joining me as usual is Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. How are you, um, Nigel? I'm, I'm terrific. Thanks, Giles. Um, w- welcome back, listeners. Another, another entertaining fortnight in the world of energy and solar. Oh, entertaining fortnight. Well, look, talking about entertaining <laughs> fortnights, um, we have been through the World Cup, and um, apparently you're not the slightest bit interested, but um, no. <laughs> me and the dog have made it through, and the dog's still alive, so that's a promising thing. So, um, Is she fed, importantly? Is she going to come in and interrupt today? Well, that, that'll be a he, and um, yes, he is fed, and um, it's he, all good. good. It's all good. Um, I just had to usher him out of the room just before we started this recording, just in case anything untoward happened. Excellent. Now, look, um, reports. Um, Look, as I mentioned on our Energy Insiders podcast, we've had to swallow and digest a 400-page report from the ACCC last week about Mm. their blueprint for the future. Mm. Now we've got a 200-page report from the AEMO, the Australian Energy Market Operator, called the Integrated System Plan, which is their blueprint for the future. Um, We're about to get another 100-page report or possibly even more from the Energy Security Board on their blueprint for the future, which would be the National Energy Guarantee. Mm -hmm. But look, some interesting things came out of the ACCC and ISP. I'm not too sure where to start here. Um, Look, look, the ISP, we've done a really good interview with Audrey um, Zieberman on Energy Insiders today, so I think that's worth a listen for those up for another podcast um, listening. Look, the different position to the government that's come out of that. I, t- oh, I take it right. It, Quite it, a different. It was it was lovely. It was it, it was lovely. It had a really interesting report, and she came up with this lovely quote. Actually, I said, "Well, how come I picked up the newspaper this morning and found five different views, and then I looked at it and it was completely different?" And she goes, "Well, it's a bit like modern art. You can take from it what you want." And <laughs> th- it, it made me think of another quote, which is. And you could apply this to energy. I don't know much about it, but I know what I like. <laughs> and that's basically this, that, I mean, that basically sums up the um, energy politics in the moment. But the core does, thing of the it? ISP was that mm. um, um, coal's on its way out. Coal's on its way out. Sure, yeah. keep them going until the end of their technical life, which is fifty years. Even yep. if you do that, you replace them with wind and solar and storage. You yep. still end up with a secure and reliable system. You end up at 46% renewables by 2030, even under this government's current government's um, policies, as well as the state policies of Queensland and and, New, um, and Victoria. Mm-hmm. And you get to more than 60% if you go for your fast transition policy, which is actually having a decent climate uh, policy. So wow. really and- quite fascinating. And out of all of that, what's really interesting is the role that behind the meter plays and distributed generation. By 2040, it could be 22% of all demand is met by rooftop solar behind the meter. I was looking at the graphs that you published on that today, and it was mind-blowing, right? Mind-blowing to see... Uh, you know, such a huge proportion. And and the, and the other point on all of this is, what do we know about forecast, Joel? What, what what always happens with forecasts around renewables and battery storage? Well, particularly with solar and everything else, that they yep. undercook them. They, they undercook, undercook them. them. So, yes. you know, that 60% one is far more likely to be what actually turns into reality than the lowball one. So um, 
again, you know, never a dull moment in this industry because here we have the AEMC saying stuff like that, and yet on the other hand, we've got the ACCC. AEMO, let's distinguish between the two. That's sort of talk and cheese. The AEMO saying that, and yet on the other hand, we've got the ACCC um, you know, suggesting that we wind up solar um, rebates uh, completely, wind it up early. Um, we've got the NEG transitioning to a form which doesn't really add um, uh, any value for behind the meter um, credits for renewals. Um, and, and, you know, so, yeah, there's diametrically opposed views even within government departments, it would seem. Yeah, look, the ACCC annoyed the report annoyed the hell out of me, actually, because basically it summed up what everyone's known for years, which is basically that customers are getting screwed left, right and centre. They're getting screwed on network prices. They're getting screwed by the retailers. And more recently, they've been screwed by the generators. Yep. Um, now, uh, Rod Sims, the ACCC chairman, came out with a whole list of proposals. The only concrete thing, the only thing he wanted to stop was the small-scale solar scheme, and he wants it finished and wound up by 2021. He actually thought about winding it up immediately, like straight away, like just you know, stop it right now, which is basically yep. what he did with the um, premium feed and tariff in New South Wales in 2011 and wanted to make retrospective changes at the same time. So, mm. that Which is ironic given that, that IPART's just admitted uh, only a few weeks ago that the reason wholesale prices are so low in New South Wales is because of the uptake of solar, which is largely driven by the SRES. Well, this is what just drives me crazy, is that all this was just about the cost of you know the, this small-scale solar scheme, which he concluded came to the grand total of 40 cents a week and it included none of the benefits. And if you look at the benefits, um, the Australian Institute rolled out one of its reports from May, rolled out again and just pointed out the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that are saved, particularly over the summer, because the peak demand periods arrive during periods of when it's hot, that's usually when the sun's out, and that's when rooftop solar is going gangbusters. So they are reducing the peak by up to about two gigawatts, and they're mm-hmm. obviously pushing that peak into the evening, and that means it's a shorter peak, it's a narrower peak, and we don't see so much prices going up. So that was yep. pretty annoying. There you it's, go. Well, it's beyond annoying. It's utterly ridiculous. I mean, I can't believe that that, tr- that report is going to be taken seriously, given that the, the, the single mechanism that they've talked about cutting is the smallest cost impost and has some of the biggest benefits and fits into all the other plans, um, uh, not the least of which, of course, is, is, is the Prime Minister's uh, flagship program, Snowy Hydro, which um, you know is only going to work if there's a, sh- a ton of renewables flowing into the market that it can absorb at low price and then deliver at other times of the day. So, you know, it's quite incredible to me that the ACCC would come out with a, with a suggestion that's going to put the kibosh on, uh, on Snowy Hydro actually ever getting off the ground. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, hey, then talking about Snowy Hydro, one of the things that the ACCC came up with was the um, wholesale price market. Um, it obviously drew its attention to the lack of competition, which we all know. Yes. Extraordinarily, it said, or it claimed to say, that um, there was actually no evidence of market manipulation. Now, geez, I don't know whether he's um, been around very much. Um, obviously, if he says the word cartel, it means that there's something um, illegal going on and he should have acted, so maybe that's why he's not saying it. Mm. He actually came out in a speech the next day and talked about, well, gaming happens and gaming's perfectly legal. And uh, we chronicled, chronicled a couple of things 
that happened in South Australia last week, which is just outrageous, including from AGL and the bidding by some of the snowy hydro generators, the peaking gas plants. And this is really diesel interesting. Plants. They were diesel plants. Diesel right? plants, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah diesel yes. plants, pushing it up to, there was down at minus 1,000 one minute, and they're up to 14, plus 14,000 at the market cap the next minute. Yep. And this is really interesting about snowy hydro. We've seen how Queensland has told its state-owned generators to sort of shut up and stop bidding and stop rorting the system. Well, the federal government's in a wonderful position to do this because, one, you see this happening as um, in, in events like this in South Australia where there's a market con- constraint and they've kicked out competition from interstate and they basically have this wonderful orgy of profit-making. Mm-hmm. And the other thing the ACCC report no- noted was that um, Snowy Hydro, like everybody else, had actually doubled its bidding for its um, hydro plants over the year. Its average mm-hmm. bid went from about $30 to $60, and it certainly had no increase in cost. It was just out there gaming the market, doing it, um, because of the um, because um, Hazelwood closing uh, with little notice and before enough renewables was built um, caused a... Uh, cause less competition in the market. So that's something that the yeah. government can certainly crack down. If they're serious about reducing electricity prices, they can start telling their own retailer and their own gen tailor um, to pull their head in. Absolutely. I think it's the elephant in the room. And, and I think it's the one issue that is not being talked about by anybody and certainly was not covered in the ACCC report that, that you know, Snowy Hydro are the fourth biggest retailer in the country now. So they have a massive potential role to play in um, um, bringing down uh, retail costs. In fact, uh, you know, we'll put the challenge out there now. There is no reason if the government wasn't, if the government is genuinely serious about reducing the price of energy right now, uh, it's two retail brands, Lumo Energy and Red Energy, could reduce the price of energy to all its customers overnight if it chose to. Okay, So if they don't choose to, then what they're going to do is they're going to deliver profits through back through to Snowy Hydro, which delivers them back to um, uh, the government. And, and likewise, they can also uh, instruct Snowy Hydro to stop gaming the market on generation. Um, uh, and, and those two impacts alone, being such material players, they could have a serious impact on reducing the price of energy right now. Not only are they the, the, the policy setter and the rule maker, and do they own generators, and in many cases around the country, poles and wires are owned uh, partially or completely by governments as well. So the governments are in a perfect position to directly influence this right now. And in fact, we've already seen evidence, as you cited with the Queensland government, instructing government-owned entities to stop profiteering. I think we, I think the government has a massive uh, uh, conflict of interest here and they could take action right now and they are not. And uh, I think it's untenable. Well, we've seen that with all the privatisations. Most of the privatisations, be they in South Australia, New South Wales or in Victoria, were basically done in mind with to try and maximise the returns mm. by um, making other decisions which kicked out competition. We saw that in South Australia almost two decades ago. We saw that in Victoria about a decade ago. Mm. Um, the only people who completely stuffed it up were New South Wales because uh, not only did they sell their major coal generators to the company that already had a dominant position in the market, they sold them for next to nothing as well. So um, yep. Yep. Um, yep. idiots all around. And on yeah. the point of coal generators, um, <laughs> you've um, 
you've noted that um, um, an ABC report just highlighting the fact, which which most people would know, but it's probably worth repeating, that um, most coal-fired generators were actually built with the support of government. Well, they, they were built by government, so on favourable terms. Correct. Um, they were financed by government, if, if nothing else. Um, yes. And so no one even, you know, everyone banging on about how we're going to build all these coal-fired power stations. Well, guess what? That's only ever going to happen if the government stumps up for them. So, you know, then the government can make a choice. We stump up for coal, we stump up for snowy hydro, we stump up for increased renewables. It's not either or, um, um, you know, and, 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 and this fallacy and this, this lie that uh, some of the guys in the government keep perpetuating that sub- renewables are the only uh, part of the in- energy industry that gets um, subsidies is utter garbage. Out of garbage. Hey, look, we've had a good spray. Um, yeah. God, we've sounded like a couple of foot- now. Oh, good. I'm glad about that. Look, therapy I, I, every two weeks. I feel like a couple of football commentators <laughs> at halftime at the World Cup. But, um, geez. Look, um, what should we get on to? Look, tell me about the SEIA New South Wales Annual Conference and, um, and brainstorming session on how to improve mm. industry quality. Great little event. Uh, happens every year. There's uh, New South Wales ones, Victorian ones, and Queensland ones. Um, New South Wales is a biggie. There's usually 100 to 150 people there. It was a great little show. Um, mostly installers, mostly uh, people who've been around the industry for a long, long time. And and it's a really, really good day because they bring together... A, 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 the first half day is really about getting presentations from... Um, at the ACCC, uh, sorry, Fair Trading gave a presentation. Um, we had some marketing presentations. Uh, we had some presentations from network companies. Uh, we had an overview of, of what was going on in the market from me to to start the day. Um, so a really, really nice session to set the scene and um, sort of delve into some of the uh, particularly technical issues around um, and practical issues around standards and the CEC were there talking about changes to the rules and standards and so forth. And then the second half of the day is really about getting the audience to get participative and and to um, uh, brainstorm what are the problems that we're seeing out there and what can SIA do um, to help so- solve those problems. So really good practical stuff and they'll go off and get to work on beavering away to try and help um, uh, solve some of those issues and address some of those issues and progressively continuously improve the quality and and the standards in our industry, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, I really commend um, you know a lot of hard work by voluntary hard work by people to get that up. Um, so good on them. Another one coming up in Townsville in only a month or so, um, which will be a bit smaller usually, but equally as valuable and useful and fun. Um, so you know if you haven't been to a CEA conference, get along, um, guys and girls. Really worth the attending. Oh, good stuff. Excellent. Well, good to hear. Yeah. Um, monitoring. Now, you guys have got something. Um, look, I guess this is probably a message from our sponsor, Solar Analytics, but um, you've made... You've made <laughs> you, I, I'm going I'm to let you have this one. Um, tell me about this data discovery. Um, well, th- this one was really interesting. And, you know, you know when you've got... Um, such staggering amounts of data, you know, terabytes of data flowing around and it's getting bigger every day as new devices come along. We're always looking, saying, what can we learn in this data? What can we learn in this data? And one of the key questions that we're always being asked is, you know, how, how much difference does this really make monitoring you know how much can you actually how much money can you save people and what difference does it really make well we've worked it out um the boffins out the back have been crunching numbers over last week and just casually mentioned that they'd worked out that over the last year we have helped solar owners identify and help to fix problems 
which means they've generated eight gigawatt hours more energy than they would have otherwise. So effectively, what we've done is we've helped bring eight gigawatt hours of energy back into the market, which wouldn't have been there because of faults and problems with systems. Um, that's really material. And if you, if you multiply it out, it's somewhere in the order of a million to a million and a half dollars of extra savings that have been delivered. Now, whether this is from us or whether it's from um, another monitoring company, I don't really care. The key thing is here that we now have some great data uh, of really the huge value of intelligent monitoring and um, how much, how, how important it really is and how much money it can help generate for consumers. So um, incredible numbers to me, eight gigawatt hours, that's huge. That is, that's pretty impressive. Look, I think that it's the same as everything. Um, when you can actually see what you're consuming, then you're probably going to moderate it, particularly if you're actually using a lot. And um, I know that when I got that monitoring device um, fitted um, in my house, which was actually before the solar system came on board, it was just, it was it was mind-blowing um, to see what, what uses what and when and why. And yes. um, quite yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, it is. Anyway. And, and, you know, it never stops. I, I found a fault at my place uh, two weeks ago. I went, oh, that device isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. Why, why is it? I hadn't looked at my monitoring for weeks. So, you know, my system kind of does its things. I found a faulty appliance and went, mm. ah, that's broken. Um, yeah. So I have to fix it. Good stuff. What, is um, that, what else is happening? Um, so that was really cool. And then the other thing that we did was um, it's a kind of a bit of a game changer, actually, in the monitoring space, because as um, uh, people would may or may not know, um, we sell our service. There's some hardware and we also sell a subscription that covers the data and the support and everything else that goes along with it. And, and everyone we always talk to about subscription costs, oh, yeah, look, I'm, I'm buying solar. I want monitoring, but I I don't know that I want ongoing costs. This is all about ongoing savings to me. And, and so it's challenging to sell subscriptions. We've actually created one of the most subscription, successful subscription models in the world, but we're very conscious that we want to try and get rid of that um, wherever we possibly can. So we made a, a huge announcement, sent some big ripples through the uh, market last week when we announced uh, a new lifetime offer, um, which is essentially is a deal where you pay up front a once-off fee and then you have no ongoing cost. And we've done that in a way that's affordable. And, and so that's kind of really exciting for us. Um, because it changes the game now because we can, can uh, get into that market where there are uh, and compete against other non-subscription-based products, so that's really cool. Um, we also launched a crowdfunding offer, um, which has uh, created a bit of a buzz. So there's an opportunity to get in and support our Series B fundraising, and, and there's been some great buzz around that. So lots going on here. Good stuff. And a couple of milestones um, happening internationally. Um, the UK has gone 1,000 hours without coal, um, which is interesting. Um, it's huge. Germany has actually, uh, I think over the last little period, has actually sourced more electricity from renewables than it has from coal, which is yep. pretty interesting. Yep. Spain's gone 45% uh, renewables for the first six months of the year. Portugal's gone 60% renewables for the first half of the year. Um, renewables are unreliable, Giles, didn't you know? Well, that's why there's been no lights on in Portugal, Spain, um, blah, 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 Germany, and, and on, the on UK. Um, right. Mind you, the lights might be going out in the UK for other reasons. Now, um, look, um, one of our favourite topics, or least favourite topics, crap solar. Um, mm. what's, what's going on here? Well, 
this is an interesting one because um, PNN Proprietary Limited, who trade as Eurosolar, appointed the liquidators on July 8th. Um, now, Eurosolar um, have been around for quite a while. They have been one of the largest solar providers in the country uh, at various times over the, over the years. Um, and um, it's somewhat intriguing that that company has been liquidated because uh, when you look on the, um, on the registry of business names and look at the way that businesses are set up, there are a number of other entities um, that have effectively filled, fulfilled uh, the same function and role as Eurosolar with different brands. <clears throat> so what this has done is it's, it means that effectively all the existing Eurosolar customers, and there are tens and tens and thousands of them out there, uh, now technically have no support, no backup, no warranty, um, and, um, and yet there are other entities on that appear to be uh, very, very closely related to uh, the same uh, people and uh, the same entity originally. So, so, so this goes back to this. Um, there's a big report done, um, I saw in the mainstream papers, and I can't remember who it was done by, but um, it was about phoenixing of companies. Mm. And this is not something that happens in the solar, just in the solar industry. It happens all across the business community. So essentially, mm. One company goes down, the gurgler reappears, more or less the same as another entity. Mm. And um, I think this particular report was just looking at its impact on employees, etc. Mm. But um, look, some obviously impacts um, on consumers as well. It does. And, uh, and I think it's a really important one for us all to watch and see what the outcome of this is and to see, you know, the ACCC's played a fairly young, uh, watched, watched, um, Eurosolar fairly closely. They, they received the largest fine in, in Australian history of ever, any solar company. In fact, one of, the, one of the largest ever for false and misleading advertising uh, some years ago. So um, I'll be really interested to see what the ACCC has to say about this one. And uh, fingers crossed those consumers are going to be protected and looked after and, and aren't just going to be abandoned. Good stuff. Look, um, let's move on to EV and battery news. Now, mm. um, very interesting thing about the EV market, the Renault have announced that the Renault Zoe uh, small electric vehicle is going to be available to sale for yes. consumers, your regular yes. consumers. So they've got I jumped only... on the website and had a look at it yesterday. It looks pretty good. Look, it looks pretty good. I'm not too sure about the price, about $50,000 for a small car, but still, yeah. Um, yeah. look, it was fascinating to see, and this is kind of where the EV market is at, that the Renault guys were sort of saying fleet sales were actually extending ahead of what they expected. Mm-hmm. What was their grand total for the first six months of the year? 27. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what Early I days. thought. So, um, look, I think part of the problem was probably their ability to actually uh, provide support and um, backup for the... Uh, well, not backup, just support and um, monitoring and or whatever else you need yep. for a fleet owner. So that's probably a lesson to them. But look, interesting enough, though, that um, there is another car that's out there and available and presumably and will be rolled out and more and um, getting in ahead of, uh, well, the Jaguar, which is probably out of most people's price range, which comes in in a couple of months, and then the... Uh, the uh, the Kona and the um, and the Hyundai car coming up in the next couple of months or maybe yeah. in the next year. It's going to get exciting in the next six or twelve months as all these come out. And I think the golden rule is, and we've seen this happen before, when availability is there. Uh, when the products are there, when they're marketed, when they're visible, when people are seeing them on the roads, uh, when they go in and they, and they inquire about purchasing one, if they get good responses, if they if they ask questions and they get good answers on service and support and backup and charging and all those other things that are top of mind for a potential EV purchaser, if those 
if those issues are addressed successfully, we know there is a market out there. We've seen sales be much, much higher than this before, um, and that applies in motorcycles and cars. Um, so, you know, great news that Renault are here and all power to them. Get going, get going fast, market the hell out of it, and get lots of them on the road. You'll sell them. Good stuff. Now, look, um, we're not just relying on imported cars. Uh, you, there's also some local people doing some interesting stuff, and uh, you went up and saw some blokes in Newcastle, the El Mofo people. Oh, tell, look, tell us about I, that. Oh, <laughs> It was a bit of... Oh look, I'm panting already. It's not every day... It's okay, Nigel. It's okay. <laughs> it's not every day, Giles, that anyone uh, in the world gets to walk into a very nice workshop, very, very well apportioned, and go, oh, wow, there's an electric car. Oh, wow, there's... Hang on. There's six electric cars in various states of construction, customs, race cars... Uh, track cars, street cars, you name it, that are being designed from the ground up and built and modified into extremely high-performance vehicles by a local Australian company. And that's what El Mofo are doing. They had, I think, six, uh, five cars, five motorbikes there. Uh, my bike's there getting uh, uh, some some uh, work done on it at the moment. Um, so that was really cool just to see what these guys are doing. And his latest toy is um, a Tesla that was uh, wrecked in a car accident uh, he bought the wreck um, and they're reverse engineering it and repairing it and already got it um, got the wheels turning and getting ready to get it out on the track as a fun uh, track car so they're doing some absolutely amazing stuff uh, looking at a tesla up on the racks just blew my mind and i mentioned the video of a pull down of a tesla uh, from a guy in the u.s um, uh, last episode and to actually see it and to see how these cars are built it is chalk and cheese to a conventional car i mean they are building incredible cars in incredible ways put it put the electric tech aside they're building a car really well it is a really really incredibly built car so that was really really amazing and then and then brett who who owns il mofo said oh do you want to see our battery assembly facility um that i'd told you i was going to build and took me upstairs and there is one of the most amazing battery construction facilities where they are they buy the cells in but everything else they've designed and built themselves, they've spent years and years developing it and build the most amazing high-performance batteries, mostly for sports applications, sport uh, motorsport. Um, but they're also finding their way out, their way out onto. Um, uh, get, there was one there was being built for a gas platform uh, where it was being used as an off-grid battery. Uh, there were some there that were heading off to Sweden for an electric race car. There were some that were going to a remote home out in the bush somewhere. So um, some really really cool stuff and and particularly around performance level stuff. Um, you know, these guys are leading the world. They, they are building cars that are right up there and um, you know, they're up the road in Newcastle. So if there's anyone out there who wants to speak to the best people in the world and spend some money um, uh, on, on, a, on an incredible piece of electric kit, go and see them. They built the, the train near you as well. Um, oh, the, the electric solar train. train. Yeah, they built, what, the, what, they what, built what, the solar train as well. So you know, trains, cars, motorbikes, automobiles, you, you name it, they'll do it. Well, there you go. There you go. Geez, look, if they're doing all of that, then obviously not a gigafactory. We'll have to find out a little name for them that sort of represents their size and their innovation. But um, maybe we can get some feedback from the It's a uh, Pico factory. Consumers. It's a Pico, Pico factory at the moment. But, but they're getting it. They're growing nicely. <laughs> okay. Look, um, last one on the list. 
uh, motorcycle EV EV motorcycle stats. Yeah, what some can you tell me? interesting little thing came out um, the other day. Uh, a report um, that's just been released on electric motorcycles around the world. Quite interesting. They um, they've now put a number on it. They reckon that in 2017, uh, sales of electric motorcycles and scooters around the world was worth 15 billion dollars. It's growing at about 11 percent per annum. Be worth 22 billion bucks in a, in a few years' time. So really, really amazing. Um, zero. Um, they're the guys who build the motorcycle that I own, um, Alta and Energica. Alta are also from America, Energica are Italian, uh, and there are a bunch of others. Um, uh, all featured very heavily in this article as sort of the, the motorcycle uh, um, part of that market. Um, but they're only 15% of, um, they're only small percentage of the, the total, about 12%, I beg your pardon, about 12% of total sales around the world are, are motorcycles. The remainder are scooters, mostly in Asia. And interestingly, uh, what I also learned is the vast majority of those literally millions of electric scooters that are being built, um, uh, particularly in Asian countries, are powered by lead-acid batteries. Only 15% of the electric motorcycles in the market, it's estimated, use lithium batteries. So there is a lot of very dumb, very cheap electric scooters being built around the world. It's it's electric mobility, which is great, um, but clearly there's a huge opportunity there to uh, shift them from lead to lithium and get all the advances that come with that um, uh, so yeah, just interesting to see that um, now reports are starting to emerge about that industry, the size of the EV motorcycle industry on its own because it's, you know, at $15, $20 billion, it's, uh, it's a decent little industry. It's a decent little one indeed, yeah. And look, it's probably worth mentioning, but just before we go, there was a CSIRO report which just talked about the opportunities in recycling lithium-ion batteries, um, which can then be repurposed for uh, and lower costs for electric vehicles and battery storage. Mm-hmm. And they talked about the opportunities for Australia to be a world leader on this yep um, which um, even though we're pretty slow on electric vehicles we're pretty quick off the mark on uh, stationary battery storage so um, yeah yep. and there's a so, couple of Australian um, companies in, in that in that space already in fact one of our board members um, is also on the board of an Australian company um, that is repurposing electric vehicle batteries for out for other applications so there is some great innovation happening and we're in amongst it as usual Charles Good on you. Good on you. Well, Nigel, thanks very much, mate. Um, all good. Um, thanks to our listeners, everybody out there listening to us. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you tell your friends about it. Hope you check in and listen to the Energy Insiders podcast. And, uh, mm. and thanks to well, our sponsors, of course. To, and thanks uh, to our sponsors. Yeah, PV absolutely. Cell. Yes, PV Cell from Sunwiz and, of course, Solar Analytics. So um, thanks, guys. We couldn't do it without you. And um, all good, mate. Um, behave. <laughs> <laughs> do yes. the right thing you too mate and, you too and, and, and we'll be um, back in two weeks we'll be back in two weeks good on you bye bye Solar Insiders was brought to you by Solar Analytics designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring visit solaranalytics.com.au get empowered and make the most of your home energy Solar Insiders is also brought to you by Sunwiz makers of PV cell software that gives retailers the tools to stay ahead of the competition Visit sunwiz.com.au, Australia's leading solar consultancy.